Welcome to the family with special guest Scott Walter. Oh, Lindsay Basham. Andy Brampernard. And Cassie Schrader. And Catherine and Ralph. <laughs> Wait a minute, I shouldn't do Ralph. And Catherine and Ralph. <laughs> there you I can do it like that. We'll be right back. Very special guest Stan Goldman up next. Fascinating subject. Great having Scott in studio for this, too. We'll be right back with the family. It's time for Team KQ Walzer's third annual Tour to Cure ride. Join me, Doug Sprinthal, Michael Bryant, and a ragtag group of riders as we raise money to fight diabetes. This year, the ride is Saturday, June 1st, and starts at Boom Island. We take the 26-mile route. It's a ride, not a race, so people of all abilities are welcome. It's a worthy cause that raises millions to support research for a cure for this terrible disease. Go to diabetes.org slash kqwalzer or email doug at walzer.com for more information. Michael Bryant, Brad Sean Bryant, what's the latest? Well, basically, we're trying to represent people who have been hurt and talk to them before they talk to an adjuster. Uh, one of the key points is to make sure you know what your rights are before you start talking to the insurance company and they start asking you questions or they try to settle your case early and cheap. Well, what's interesting to me is, you know, a lot of people have fear of attorneys. It makes them very uncomfortable. They get nervous about it. What should I do? I've known Michael for years and years now, and I would highly recommend you. So that should be good enough for everybody because I don't endorse people who are dirtbags. Well, I, I appreciate that. Um, but I guess the key is, is people think I'll charge them if I talk to them. Right. So a lot of people call me up. It's like, how much is this going to cost if you call me back? Like, you want me to call you back? How much will that cost? I don't charge people. The only way I get paid is if we recover, um, if we get money from the, the other side. And there's a lot of people I talk to that I never get paid for that are just part of giving them advice to make sure they know what they can do and what their rights are. And your record's terrific as well, we should point out. Well, it works. It's been good. <laughs> it's been good, ladies and <laughs> it's gentlemen. It's been good. And how do they contact you? And, uh, e- either through our website, which is minnesotapersonalinjury.com, minnesotapersonalinjury.com, or at 800-770-7008. Michael Bryant, Bradshaw and Bryant. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. Is Stan ready to go? Yep. Stan Goldman. Stan Goldman, ladies and gentlemen, left to the mercy of a rude stream. The bargain that broke Adolf Hitler and saved my mother. Seven years after the death of his mother, Malka, Stanley A. Goldman traveled to Israel to visit her uh, best friend during the Holocaust. The best friend's daughter showed Goldman a pamphlet she had acquired from the Israeli Holocaust Museum that documented activities of one man's negotiations with the Nazis' interior minister and SS head. Uh, Heinrich Himmler, of course. So I've talked enough, Stan. I just want to turn it over to you. How are you, sir? Why, thanks. I'm okay. How are you? I'm sitting in Los Angeles. You know, Stanley, we were just talking by coincidence, because I don't look ahead at at who's going to be on the show, because I want a a fresh take on everything. And we, by coincidence, were just talking about what it's like to tour Washington, D.C. now, because there is the tour of sorrow uh, that, of course, the Holocaust Museum the Vietnam War Memorial, the memorial at the Pentagon. Uh, it's a wonderfully educational and yet a very sad situation. And I was just, again, Stanley, by coincidence, I was just talking about the the boxcar that has the children's shoes in it. It's very difficult to go in into because it's not only visual, there's, an, there's a smell about it, the leather, the old leather. Uh, just being that close to it was overwhelming for me so having your mother have been involved in it that must what is that like stan your mother god well when i grew when i grew up almost everybody i knew's mother or father had been in one of the camps in the holocaust because oh, i grew up yeah. in los angeles in the midst of a community of recent immigrants post world war 2 immigrants almost all of whom had <clears throat> been connected. That's how they'd, they'd come to Los Angeles. They were some of the group that came to Los Angeles after the war. Some went to New York, some went to Israel, some went to Europe, some went, you know, a few tried to go back to Poland unsuccessfully, but yeah. they um, ended up in, uh, you know, in Los Angeles, and that's, that's where I grew up with. And I, I remember uh, as, uh, as a kid, about 13, I mentioned it in the book, that uh, somebody who was a lawyer who, who was representing me in a little personal injury case who wasn't Jewish met my mother and then told me I ought to write a book about this because I'm in a very unique position to, to know all these people and I couldn't, I couldn't figure out what the heck he was talking about. Wasn't everybody like this? I mean, this is, uh, right. you know, I mean, didn't everybody know about this stuff? 
uh, that was just it was just the way I grew up. But no, it was they were all um, they were all kind of remarkable, and they all had this dark cloud hanging over their heads. But they they these were the survivors. They uh, they had uh, they were very physically and emotionally strong. Uh, that was the only way to get through it. And that's what my book is in some respects about. It's about the rescue of my mother through this really bizarre circumstance, but it's also about, you know, the, the, the will to survive. And, uh, and she, she ends up being rescued, if you want to call it that, from a camp in a very strange and little discussed incident in World War II along with uh, some other women. And they survived basically because of this, you know, this strange deal, but they had survived to get to that point in large part because they were sort of indomitable. I mean, you know, they 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 wouldn't sort of let the Germans kill them. Uh, you know, they you know, if the opportunity exists to survive, they took it. You know, Stanley, I I, I was born in the '50s, grew up in North <laughs> Minneapolis, which is a, a Catholic, black, and Jewish neighborhood. There were, you know, as you go from Mississippi River to the city limits, it went from a Catholic uh, neighborhood to a black neighborhood to a Jewish neighborhood. So I grew up, and we all intermingled. We hung out with one another. There were never any problems. It was it was fantastic. But as a very little boy, I would see the tattoos. And most people don't know what I'm talking about when I, when I reference the tattoos. On, the, uh, on the, the older parents, mostly the grandparents, though, of my friends that lived uh, west of Penn Avenue. And I, I remember asking for the first time, why, why does your, your grandpa have a tattoo of a number on his arm? And learning that at such a young age, Stanley, and I, I grew up Catholic, uh, but what an impact that had on me. It's like, you actually labeled people? I'll never forget thinking that. What, that was an amazingly emotional moment for me. And I carry it with me to this day, Stan. And I, I, I will tell you that in a very, very odd and a very bizarre way, and I've never said this before, the ones who were tattooed were the ones who were marked by the Germans to be lucky. Yeah, because yes, you weren't right. tattooed. My mother was never tattooed because every time she went to a camp, they expected to be killing her quickly. Uh, she, she, she was in three camps. She was primarily in two camps. But they expected to be killing her very quickly, and they only bothered tattooing the prisoners who they thought they could put to work. But each time my mother was taken to a camp and not tattooed, uh, uh, about to be killed, something would happen that would end up prolonging her life. The Germans needed at one point workers to go to, of all places, Berlin and work in a factory. So she was in the heart of Berlin for nine months during the height of the Allied bombing raids. When the, so the, quite literally, when the Germans weren't trying to kill her, the Allies were, because, you know, she was in a factory in yeah, Berlin, yeah. Uh, you know, where then she'd get rescued uh, in another point in time. So, so yes, yeah, so my mother was one of the, her few friends who didn't have the tattoo. Uh, who had been through the camps? It is uh, she was one of she, you know, yeah. She wore a scar of a of a shrapnel wound on the back of her leg. She mm-hmm. got when the uh, when the British, uh, I believe, bombed her. That's what the assumption is. That was British bombs uh, when she was in still in in custody. Um, but uh, but no no tattoo. We were just talking last week. We had a young man, Steve Honigs, in in studio, um, and we were talking about Victor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning. Uh, I don't know if you've ever read the book or not, but if you haven't, Stanley, you would yes, love that. I, you have. Phenomenal book. I, 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 I actually refer to a, a few passages from it in my book. Do because you really? Frankl's arrival, yes, Frankl's arrival in Auschwitz um, was almost identical to my mother's. His, his mm. state of mind, uh, mm. you know, they didn't know what this was. The secret of the death camps had been kept from them. They still had hope. You know, they didn't realize that, you know, that they thought they'd be put to work somewhere. Uh, and and his, his description of various things is almost identical to the way my mother described arriving. No, it, it, I, I tell you, Stanley, every time I talk to somebody about these things, it does all come. Oh, by the way, I, I do want to ask you, ballpark, ballpark, when were you born? When was I born? Uh, I was born before you. Okay, so the reason uh, I was born, I was, <laughs> the reason... I was born, uh, you know, I was born in the late four. I was born after the war here in America. My okay, yeah, uh, okay. after in Los Angeles. Yeah. The only reason I ask you that, I knew you had to be kind of around my age because only guys my age say uh, he was a lawyer, wasn't a Jew. <laughs> only guys our age say things like that, Stanley. <laughs> I think that's hilarious. So I knew we had something in common there. Um, uh, carrying this, uh, no, so uh, your your mother, um, 
is your mother still alive? No, no. My She's mother not. passed away, actually. What day is today? Today is the 22nd? 21st. My mother passed away in nine days. It will be 20 years exactly. 20 years exactly on the 30th of, uh, of May. Yeah, uh, she uh, she she lived. Uh, I was she was older when I was born. She was about 39 when I was oh, born. Oh, okay. Uh, she was not one of the kids who made it through the war. She was actually in her group one of the older women. Almost all the women were like 25 or under, mm-hmm. because you really they they when they made when they talked about slave labor, they talked about slave labor. If you if you were a little bit older, you couldn't keep up. You couldn't, and the Germans would just get rid of you. Right. So uh, she was she was one of the older ones, but her her you know her final rescue is is the reason that spurred me to write the book, and, and in the incident you talked about with uh, where quite literally um, uh, a furrier, uh, a guy literally in the in the, in today would would not be a favored profession, but he literally no. sold furs, he sold fur coats. Right. He gets approached by uh, he he literally gets connected to um, a representative of the Nazi governments in Stockholm. The guy's in Stockholm, neutral Sweden. And uh, the Germans were so deluded in their anti-Semitism, they believed even to the end that the Jews were running everything. So mm-hmm. if they wanted to try to, to, to forge a little bit of a peace, and, and Churchill and Eisenhower wouldn't talk to you, maybe, maybe uh, you know, kind of some kind of surrender, which, which Himmler was interested in trying to negotiate, um, well, what the heck, if they won't talk to you, then just find a Jewish businessman, you know, because they have access to all this stuff. And they right. literally, right. you know, a, a guy who's a furrier, you know, a small businessman in Stockholm, there's a there's an airplane on the tarmac at the Stockholm airport, swastika on its side, and it's due to take off in two hours. And two hours before this plane is due to take off, taking this Nazi representative back to Berlin, they ask this Jewish businessman if he'd like to go and meet Heinrich Himmler and talk to him about this. Whoa. And, and I mind you, this guy's not a diplomat. He's not even a Jewish lawyer. He's, not, he's, he's, a, he's a furrier. He's the, he's the kind of guy. He, he's the kind of guy who, you know, if you want to, back in 44, if you want to buy your wife a nice pair of mink lined gloves to keep her hands warm in Stockholm mm-hmm. during the winter, this mm-hmm. is the guy you see. This is not the guy you see to offer a ceasefire on the Western Front. Uh, and instead of saying that, instead he goes, okay. <laughs> and they get on this plane, and they fly into, they fly into Berlin, uh, and he gets off the plane. He literally just gets off the plane, and he's, he's greeted by six SS officers in full uniform regalia, like dress uniform, all of whom instantaneously, as if it's choreographed, salute Sig Heil in unison. Oof. And he just looks at them, and he takes his cap off and says, Good evening. <laughs> <laughs> a very popular choice, I'm uh, sure. God, you know, and and uh, and he he you know that he's um, you know and he uh, you know is the only Jew in the Berlin airport. He's stuck there for a few hours before they can actually get a car that's willing to drive them through the bombings, and he um, he gets taken off to a negotiation and sits across a table from Heinrich Himmler, negotiating. Uh, negotiating release of, of prisoners from camps and stopping of death marches. And he's got no authority to do anything. He's just, he's a furrier. <laughs> Stanley, I didn't know you were the Stanley A. Goldman, the O.J. Simpson Stanley A. Goldman. Well, um, <laughs> I don't know. Well, uh, I'm not entirely certain I want to go through life being known as that. But, yeah, I, I, uh, I, I, uh, O.J. once sent word to me during the course of the yeah. trial that he liked my commentary, right. which was a very disturbing day. Right. <laughs> very disturbing. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I worked in Stanley. your business for a number of years. Oh, yeah. Stanley, we got to have you yeah. on more. you got to call yeah. to give me a regular call in, Stanley. This is phenomenal. I'm in a situation where we've only got about three minutes left, and I have about a billion more things to ask you. I want to hear your take on, on the pamphlet. Is there is there a way we could book you again uh, maybe in another week or so and I could have you on for an entire hour? Look, school is over. You know, I, I, I teach full-time now, but also, as you probably you might know from my resume, I used to work for the New York Daily News. Yes, I wrote for yep. them for two-plus years. Sure. So I wrote this book not like a college professor. I wrote this book like I used to write my, my, my stories for the New York Daily News. So it is a... It is a it's been described by some reviewers as a page-turning thriller. It is, however, not a fiction. It is 100% correct. It's just an astonishing story that is, that is almost not unknown. And I, when I stumbled across it, 
you know, instead of writing briefs for a living, I just decided to sit down and spend a few years writing this book, which was, I got to tell you, you know, you don't make a lot of money writing a book about the Holocaust. Matter of fact, it, it, you don't make any money. So it was just something I, I had to do. I had to tell this story for my mother. I had to tell it for the guy who saved my mother's life because there is a particular guy is the reason why I'm alive today. That is a wonderful. But yeah, book me anytime. School, school just ended, so I am I'm free for the summer. No, I gotta I gotta ask you one more thing. You, now you work with Fox News now, right? No, no, no. I worked for Fox News for ten years oh, full time. In fact, did. a little over ten oh, years. No, no, no. I don't. I, I, I they they uh, well, Roger Ailes, as I like to say, hired me, and Roger Ailes fired me. Uh, I was with the network for uh, for ten years. I was their on air, um, right? Uh, you know, legal correspondent. I was the guy with the microphone. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, no, I left. I left Fox News. I was there for the first ten years. Oh, and, okay. Um, okay. And okay. and I and I think I. I think things changed a bit uh, after I'd been there 10 years, and uh, I was no longer uh, I, w- I was no longer quite of, as much interest to them as I'd been before. Yeah, which doesn't make any sense to me. But the only reason I brought it up is uh, Pete Hegseth is from Minnesota. I don't know if you know Pete or not. He does the weekend uh, the weekend morning show on Saturdays and Sundays. He's coming to town, and we're going to have a little dinner. So I figured, hey, Stanley, why don't you fly in? We'll have dinner. It'll be unbelievable. <laughs> No pressure. That's right. <laughs> no pressure. Stanley, no, I, no problem. I will absolutely, uh, be, if you don't mind, I would love to have you on for an entire hour because there are a million things I'd like to talk to you about. And I do sure, apologize sure. for calling you the O.J. Simpson Stanley A. Goldman. <laughs> <laughs> that, Stanley. I loved your reaction yeah, to that, Stanley. Yeah, that was phenomenal. Yeah, yeah that, that was, uh, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I, I was, you know, I, I was, I was, I watched I, I was in court for the trial. I was in court for both trials, yeah. that trial yeah. and the civil trial. I mean, I, 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 as I was for Timothy McVeigh and Scott Peterson and oh, Mike, the God. Michael Jackson child molestation trials, I was in the courtroom for all of those covering them. So, I mean, I, and hundreds, uh, I, don't, I, can't, I can't imagine how many more I did. I did this for, did this for a living for 12 and a half years. Uh, but uh, and by the way, my book is available on Amazon. Oh, we're going to talk about this. Oh no, I will mention it over and over again, and we will reach out. I'd love to have you on for an entire hour in the very, very near future. Sure. If that, Stanley, thank you so much for your time, sir. Sure. Anytime, pleasure. Left to the mercy Bye-bye. of a rude stream, the bargain that broke Adolf Hitler and saved my mother. I didn't even know it was that Stanley A. Goldman. This guy is legendary. Mm-hmm. Wow. I mean, he's a legendary. What a story, reporter. too. My God, God, I can't wait to hear yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. But I loved his take. I'm not sure if I want to be known as that. (laughs) (laughs) That's dramatic. (laughs) He's all traumatized. (laughs) We'll be right back. Scott Walter in studio. We're going to talk all kinds of television and great stuff. You have great stuff coming up. I think we do. I think we do. do. Yeah. We'll be right back in just a couple of seconds with the family. It's Tom Bernard with North American Banking Company CEO and my buddy, Michael Bilski. Michael, let's say somebody has a plan to expand their business this year. How can North American Banking Company get that job done? At North American Banking Company, we'll take time to understand the customer's needs and wants and their plans for the future. Once we have a good understanding of that, we'll try to solve their financing dilemma. We won't take a cookie-cutter approach to any financing situation. Wonderful. So if I need cash to expand my podcast, you got a plan for me, too? No. (laughs) (laughs) God, thank you. I see where this is going. Well, we love working with you. We can help any business, including a podcast that's already very successful. Who's better than you? That's what I want to know. I still never liked you, though. You are. No, I never. Don't try to make up. I don't (laughs) Why not bank with my banker, North American Banking Company, a better banking experience, member FDIC, and an equal housing lender. Tom Bernard here for Whiting Clinic LASIK and Cataract. There's no better time than now to ditch your contacts and pitch your glasses. Whiting Clinic is the place I trusted to do this for me, and it's not just me. There's a reason Whiting Clinic is the number one LASIK practice in the United States. Dr. Whiting's unsurpassed experience, the most advanced Contura laser technology, and lifetime coverage are all backed by Whiting Clinic's best price guarantee. Being the experts they are, they wanted to make sure you have the very best for your eyes, just like I did. Call now for Whiting Clinic's $500 off LASIK savings. If you're like me, not a big fan of glasses and contact lenses, then it's time you found out if you're a candidate for LASIK. And Whiting Clinic is definitely the place to go. Call 855-554-2020 today or visit whitingclinic.com to set up your free LASIK consultation. Remember to tell them that I sent you and save $500 on your LASIK. Offer good for a limited time. Call Whiting Clinic for details. Good for both eyes only. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Baby, 
Apparently, Cassie's rocking out today. That's good. I like it. I can't wake myself up. <laughs> Should we put Scott to the to Cassie test to see if he comes close? Well, he knows Dave. Oh, oh I know damn it. Yeah. yeah. We, I have always, I always ask people to guess how old Cassie is. And last week, An- Anthony DeVito guessed she was 23. Yeah, I wish. <laughs> I think she's a, a little more than 23, but yeah. she's a little more she looks great. I'm telling you. I do yeah, look you young. Do. You yep. look very young. It's true. <clears throat> it's all true. You got Lindsay down there. I mean, it's a, the guys are not looking too good in the room here today. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. You know what I mean? But yeah, we just off the air went through. Scott had to put me through the. God, your wife looks like Jane Fonda. I'm like, yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah, that'll be great. It's a compliment. Y'all kicked your coverage, man. Well, Good, nice no job. doubt about that. No getting around. I can't even deny one second of that whole deal. So Scott Walter in studio. We have a lot to talk about. Uh, so History Channel said, "What again?" They said it was what. Your show is too smart. Too smart. For... It's the History Channel. <laughs> well, I don't know if it is anymore. Well, no, you know, I mean, it's, that's, that's sort a of a point. debate. Yeah, but, that's a good point. And I have to say one thing. Well, well, it sounds like I, I'm, I'm disappointed. And I, I'm disappointed the show didn't continue. They treated me very well, so I have nothing yeah, but good things good. to say about them. Uh, but having said that, Travel Channel is even a, a level up. Travel Channel is a great they've job. They've been very supportive yep. and uh, giving us. Uh, I mean, it's like they've been so good. I, I, I can't believe it. It's wonderful. It's been great. And yeah, a week from today. A week from today. The party starts. So um, great. A little I... nervous, but but very excited. I think we've got some wonderful shows, and I've actually stepped out of my sort of typical comfort zone a little bit and, and investigating some things that I never thought I would ever be looking at. Um, it's it's going to be good, but you know the the one thing I'll say is that you know I ask people to be open minded about my stuff, right? Mm-hmm. I guess yes. turnabout's fair yep. play. Yep. So, and actually being because I I feel like I I really did give it a go, some really cool things have happened, and my eyes have been opened up to things that I never thought I would I would really? be open to. Yeah, and uh, man, we got one episode coming up that has to do with um, extraterrestrials. Really? That, you know, and I never wanted to do anything about that. It's no, no, not my wheelhouse at all. But I did it, and you will be surprised. You're stealing Dan Aykroyd's thunder. <laughs> <laughs> Aykroyd loves talking well, about well, aliens. Speaking of uh, extraterrestrial UFO, you know, ufology and stuff, one of the staples of the whole genre of that, Stan, uh, Stan Friedman just passed away. Stan Friedman. Oh yeah, I saw yeah. that. I didn't Stan know Friedman. That. Yeah, and he he was a, a physicist that solely believed that we have you know extraterrestrials, intelligent life, UFOs. Yeah, he just passed away last week. But they're not like on Lindale Avenue. Like <laughs> oh, I don't know. I don't know. Well, that's true. You never know. <laughs> There's yeah, it's a really good point. It's very questionable. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no doubt about. It. Yeah, well, that's true. Yeah, matter of fact, Dan just went on a, another. And I really like Dan Aykroyd. He's the nicest guy in the mm-hmm. world. But man, his well, his family has generations going back with ghosts and the aliens and all. Oh, you didn't know that? No. Oh yeah, no, his family's big into ghosts. Oh yeah. His I father. had no idea. Yeah. Oh. They really? wrote a book. Yeah, they wrote a book together, I believe, and I think there was a documentary on it as well. Cool. So, yeah. and he's had a theory now for ten years that uh, that aliens come to Earth and have, have sex with our women. That's <laughs> I, what he's. he's got I've heard theory. people say the same thing. <laughs> I, I have, and really? I don't know what to think about that. I'm texting I have Dave lots right of questions. Now. Yeah, text Dave right now. <laughs> you know, I'm here having sex with an alien, and I want you to know. <laughs> well, that. I think he's an alien. <laughs> well, that's a possibility. <laughs> Dave about is an alien. I mean, it's a good time. So, Tom, let me ask you a question. Yes, okay, sir. just be honest with me right yeah. now. Okay. What are your thoughts on the Kensington Runestone? The Runestone? Yeah. I just think it's a phenomenal. First of all, where is it again? Well, right now it's up in Alexandria Alexander. at the yeah, Runestone yeah, Museum, yeah, which is okay. about 15 miles from the farm, which is now a Douglas County Park where it was oh, found. Oh, okay. okay. So it's up there. Yeah, I mean, that whole, look, I mean, 
haven't they tied it to the Vikings and all that? Or it's it's pre-Vikings though, isn't it? No, it's it's post-Vikings. Oh, it's, oh, it's post-Vikings. Yeah, I mean, the, the, oh, okay. the, it's dated 1362, oh, all right. which is all right. 300 years after the Viking Age ended. Right, right. And so. Um, well, how the hell did they get there? How did they get to this whole Viking thing? I, I, I kind of think that it's they've amazing. almost let it go. I'm talking about academia and, and because it's like, well, if that's what they want to think, that's fine. Yeah. Because they didn't want to open Pandora's box to mm -hmm. a medieval explanation. And I got to tell you, I have, a, I have a new book that's coming out in about three weeks. And it's called Cryptic Code of the Templars in America. And after all these years... I think I got this thing figured out. I know everybody, really? everybody says that, but really? I really I really think I do. And um, it's going to rewrite the whole history of this country for sure because what I've come to realize is mm -hmm. our founding fathers, who were all Freemasons, mm -hmm. were also, yes, right. they were also Knights Templar. Mm -hmm. um, oh, I've heard that. I didn't know that for it's, years. Yeah, it's, it's true. They knew about the runestone. They knew about the Templars coming over here. And what I find astonishing is how nobody, at least to my knowledge, has put it together, the, the, the elephant in the room that is obvious. The Templars were put down in 1307 by the monarchy of Europe and the Roman Catholic Church, right? Mm -hmm. No offense. Um, I know you grew up a Roman Catholic, but yeah. you know history is history. No, absolutely. And, and, but yet our country was founded by these Freemasons who were descendants yeah, yep. of these same guys. Right. And some of the main tenets we have in this country are, we fought a revolution against a monarchy, right? Mm -hmm. Freedom from the tyranny of the mm -hmm. monarchs of Europe. And we have freedom of religion. Does anybody see some parallels there? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that are like obvious. Mm -hmm. And so I think what, what, what people are going to learn about is that the runestone was the beginning of the founding of this country. Because one of the things it says that's relatively new that linguistically was solved um, is it says acquisition business or taking up land. It's a land claim. Oh. It's sitting right on the north-south continental divide out in the Alexandria right. area, right. which was where you would put a land claim back. Uh, that was the tradition in the 14th century for the French and the Dutch. Templars were founded in France. And it's in the geographic center of the continent. So all these things that people just sort of discern, why would they plant it in the middle of nowhere? Well, maybe thinking about it in a 21st century context, but think about it back then. And every question that's ever been asked about the runestone is now answered, has been answered. But this is the story, this is the narrative that we're going to be telling, uh, that I tell in the book, and we're going to be telling on, on episodes in the show. And it's, it's, it's absolutely true. And there's a lot more to it than that, but um, certain entities have not wanted this story to come out. Because, really? because, well, the church is one of them. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Um, but, yeah. but here's what happens. Once you accept the runestone, all of a sudden you trigger a series of dominoes that begin to fall that go to inconvenient places um, that reveal inconvenient histories that certain entities have wanted to suppress. And I felt it myself. I, I've, I've felt the wrath. Mm -hmm. I was, I've been called all kinds of things. And... You know, I haven't, of course. Well, you haven't yet. <laughs> but you know what I say? You know what I say? I go, let's just take a step back for a second. Apparently, I'm, I'm competent enough to be assigned to the... Pe I'm normally chasing work, right? Right. But okay. I got a call. They said, you are assigned um, to do the work at the Pentagon. So apparently, I'm competent enough to do that. But I can't look at a rock and, and tell you about yeah. the, the age and right, all that. Right. So where's why is this pushback happening? And I'm... I'll be quite frank with you. There, there are forces at work that don't want this history to come out. That's part of the the premise of the show. Um, I wouldn't be doing the show if this was not a real thing, and that I thought we mm -hmm. could make a difference. I'm doing it because um, someone needs to stand up to this and bring this stuff out. And we're sitting. We live in the state that has, in my opinion, the most important historical artifact in the history of this country. And one of the most important in the world. And I'm totally serious when I say that. <clears throat> so, so uh, almost 200 years later, 
you got Columbus, and he's trying to right because I was. Oh, you mean Chris, the guy I mean, that never Chris. set foot on the continent? Right, right. <laughs> that already had millions of people living here. That guy. <laughs> yeah, that's what, and that's exactly what I was going to ask you. Okay, the Viking era ended. You said around the year ten sixty six. Ten sixty six. So a, a thousand years ago. Uh, I got. It's kind of hard for me to believe that the Vikings then some of them returned home, and nobody knew about it. Well, think about this, Tom. So we got lots of meadows around the year 1000, right? Right. Okay, and that's been accepted, a Viking settlement. And then nothing happened for almost 500 years? That's exactly what I mean, that doesn't even pass the smell test, right? No, it does not. Now, here's the missing piece to this whole story that nobody wants to talk about. If there's anybody alive today that might be able to shed light on these questions that you're asking... How about the natives? Well, yeah, and that's that was my next question for you. They know. Where, where is what's the first record of of uh, Indio, which is where Indian came from, which is with with God is what it means. Mm. Um, the first proof that Native Americans existed in North America. Well, you know how far back that goes because I don't know. Well, at least ten thousand years, 10, according 000, yeah. to some of their oral traditions, mm-hmm. back to when at least in the Great Lakes region. Yeah, uh, right. You go back 10, 12,000 years, the ice was just melting back, right? It was right. like spring asked, in yeah. North America. Yep. You know, the, the snow banks are melting back. The, the uh, Great Lakes are being exposed. And they have stories that go back that far. They have artifacts that they carry in their sacred pouches. Mm-hmm. Some of them go back and they're, and they're placed to, you know, pieces of Pleistocene creatures, like uh, parts of saber-toothed cat skulls and giant beaver teeth and really? mammoths and, and things like that. So at least 10,000 years, but uh, there's evidence that there's been human beings living on this continent going back 20, 30,000 years. And, really? and, and, and the whole world of archaeology right now is being turned on its head. There's all kinds of new discoveries. Yeah. Some of them have been suppressed. But they're coming out now, which is changing the whole narrative. I mean, it's it's an exciting time to be yeah. uh, an archaeologist, a scientist, um, looking at the history of not just this country but the world. There's there's a lot a lot that's changing. What's so amazing to me is you, you know, obviously in South America you have Aztecs and Incas and and d- did the Native Americans in North America come up or did they cross the land bridge? I mean, how did the North American natives get here? Well, uh, depends on who you talk to. If you talk yeah, to if, exactly if you talk to the natives, right, right. Um, you know they have their own. Some of them say humans started here, went out, oh, and then that. came back. Um, right. You know, archaeologists. Some say the Bering Strait land bridge. Some say that there were Salutrians that came over twenty, twenty-five thousand years ago, following seal herds along yeah. the edge of the ice oh, yeah. into North America. Yeah. And I personally, I think uh, it's silly to try to say that there's one theory for how things happen. Right. I think the Bering Strait land bridge makes a lot of sense. I think the east migration makes sense. Mm-hmm. People coming from the north. I mean, yep. we're finding out that Polynesians could travel thousands of miles going right. back five, seven, eight, maybe even 10,000 years ago. I mean, it was probably a, things were happening all over the place. There isn't just one theory i don't think did any of these societies or people did they keep records because i mean all these people just disappeared you know and and they're or did they or did they yeah that's the good way or did they yeah well what we're finding is that there are some amazing uh records that not necessarily written in books per se Mm -hmm. although there were uh texts that that you find uh, going over into Europe and to the Middle East and North Africa, written on metal, written on vellum, papyrus, in stone. Um, uh, But natives, they wrote on birch bark, they wrote on uh, skins. They also, some tribes, story keepers, have tattoos. Uh, The women will help them keep track of their oral traditions, and I've seen some of these tattoos. So a lot of people will say, well, the oral tradition of the natives is, is the telephone game, right? Well, no, it's not. Um, not at all. Because yeah, first of all, right. before you can even receive this information, you have to be deemed worthy. Um, it's a multi-sensory experience. There's a lot that's going on, sound and, and tactile. Uh, um, it, it's like 
do you remember when you had a baby, if you've ever had a baby? Mm -hmm. There was a lot going on, right? You're never going to forget it. Yep. It's the same kind of a thing. That's how you imprint things into people's memories, and then it gets passed on generation to generation. Some cases it's written down. Sometimes it's tattooed. Um, sometimes it's mouth to ear. We shall take a break. Be right back in just a couple of minutes more with Scott Walter and the family. What are the things you want to avoid when it comes time to sell your home? Hey, it's Tom with my realtor, Chris Lindahl. If you're like most people, it's things like open houses, staging, decluttering, repairs, maintenance, and all the people coming through your house. Hey, Tom, the Guaranteed Offer Program from Chris Lindahl Real Estate was created for people like you so that you can avoid the things that you don't like doing when it comes time to sell your home. We have been presenting offers for homes in most price ranges. Homeowners are loving our guaranteed offer program, especially how much money they are making on their home sale without the inconveniences. So this program is for all price ranges and conditions, including perfectly maintained homes? Most homes do qualify. To see if your home qualifies, go to chrislindahl.com and click Get Offer right now. Will you be the next homeowner to accept an offer from our guaranteed offer program? Find out now. If you qualify, you will get an offer in 48 hours or less, and the best part is you get to pick a closing date that is convenient for you and close in as little as three weeks. Go to chrislindahl.com right now to see if you qualify or call 763-401-SOLD. That is 763-401-SOLD. I'm talking to Neil Sheehy, ex-NHL defenseman. Neil, you've had great success following the Nutrimost Wellness Plan. How much weight did you lose? Tom, I dropped over 63 pounds in 44 days, but more importantly, I know how to keep it off. That's great. What makes Nutrimost different from all of those other programs out there? In addition to my success, I have two brothers and two sisters who had great success on the Nutrimost wellness program. And collectively, we all lost a total of 222 pounds on the program. My brother and I were so impressed that we decided to open up a clinic in Plymouth. Find out how and why Nutramos is unlike any other weight loss plan by attending the Nutramos free dinner at 6.30 p.m. on Tuesday, June 4th at Jake's in Plymouth. Nutramos guarantees that you lose 20 pounds or more. Register for the Nutramos dinner or schedule your immediate consultation. Call 763-333-7337. That's 763-333-7337. You know, we were just talking a little bit about, uh, you know, being Catholic and all the rest of it. And, and Lindsay and Ralph and Catherine and I went to see La Traviata at the Ordway on, on Sunday. Oh. And it is kind of funny. The the Italian influence on the Catholic influence, it is Roman Catholic, obviously. Yep. But I just we, we pointed out and loved the fact that in all Italian opera, women are either saints or whores. There's no in between. <laughs> no in between. There's no in between at all. That's, you're either a saint or you're a whore. It's like, what? Unfortunately, you, you and I, Tom, have married the saints. You know, saints. <laughs> yes, very fortunate that we married the saints. Saint. That That's was a, a good, good one. Thing. So the rune stone itself, where, where is it sitting? You said it's in the Alexander, but where does it sit? It sits on a pedestal in the middle of the, the runestone room, and there's a glass case over it. Okay. It's, it's in an old cradle they've had, I think, since the 30s. And um, it's just it's just been patient, and it's just waiting for people to to recognize it for what it is. It's been translated. It has. Uh, okay. And uh, you want me to tell you what it says? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> if you can, please. No, I can do it. I can do it. <clears throat> it starts very curiously with a number, um, and there are many numbers within the inscription. Interestingly enough, they're pentatic numbers. Pentatic numbers are Arabic in origin, which begs the question, why are there Muslim numbers right. on a Scandinavian runestone? Who interacted with Muslims? You have to ask yourself that question. Who would, who ta who would have taught them this numbering system? But in any case, that's, I'm digressing. The runestone starts with the number eight, very sacred number to the same group of people. Um, but it says eight Goths and 22 Northmen on this acquisition business or taking up land from Vinland far to the west. We had a camp near two somethings. That word has a question mark after it because they're not really sure because there's a rune that has a couple of modifications to it. Um, we had a camp near two shelters is one interpretation. Um, one day's journey north from this stone. We were fishing one day after we came home, found ten men red from blood and death, then three Latin letters, AVM, 
Some people have interpreted as Ave Virgo Maria, mm -hmm. but you have to keep in mind that V and the U are interchangeable, and AUM is right. a very interesting right. um, esoteric concept, but I won't, I won't digress. And then the last line says, Save from evils. This is on the face side where there are nine lines of text. On the split side of the stone, and I say split side because the stone was intentionally split off from a larger slab of, of a glacial slab of rock to this interesting two-to-one ratio, which is a very sacred ratio. I'm sure that was a coincidence. Mm -hmm. But on the split side, it says, uh, there are 10 men by the inland sea uh, to look after our ships, 14 days journey from this island, year 1362, which again is, um, you know, oh. three, 300 years after Christianity had gone through Scandinavia. So they weren't mm -hmm. Vikings. So, but further support to your... Uh argument, I believe, is that they put it in the center of the continent. And yeah. how would they know yeah. what the center of the continent was unless they knew the West Coast? <laughs> Bingo. 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 It's called logic. It's simple logic. And that is one thing that during the investigations for me that started in the year 2000, uh, after 19, geez, 19 years now, um, I, I, it's just been a cluster from day one. And part of it was the people that were asked to study this thing really weren't prepared or didn't really understand. I'm not disparaging, I'm just saying it wasn't in their wheelhouse. They were linguists, they were runologists, they were, uh, uh, they were not people trained in scientific method. Interestingly enough, in 1909, the Minnesota Historical Society recruited the re then retired uh, former state geologist of Minnesota, uh, Win uh, Newton Winchell, to study the runestone. And he did that. And he concluded geologically, and after going to Kensington and meeting the key players three different times in 1909-1910, he concluded it was a genuine artifact. And people have forgotten that. Um, the University of Minnesota Geology Department was called Winchell Hall. I knew about Winchell when I went to college. But when I did my work, I'd never heard of the runestone. I had no idea Winchell studied it. And then when I came out with my conclusion that it was authentic, and then I found out that Winchell had studied it, I went, oh, my God. If he came to a different conclusion, my life is over, right? <laughs> and he didn't. So a lot of people today, um, and I want to make this clear, are trying to give me credit for solving the Kensington runestone. I didn't solve it. All I did was replicate what this brilliant guy did 90 years before me and independently. And that's how the scientific method works. So Winchell is the guy that solved this over 100 years ago now. It's, it's, and, and it was it was put down for all the wrong reasons. It's really a tragic story when you look at it, but hey, it's a new day and uh, it's going to, I, I, and you know what, if, if you just let me say one last thing and I want you to jump on this. Now more than ever, I think it's important to remind people where we came from. And Absolutely. what I mean, what I mean is what were the tenets and the principles upon which this, this country was founded. Do people realize that our Constitution is a Masonic document? And that in, 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 in Masonry, we, we accept people of all faiths because whatever you call deity, it doesn't matter what you call it. It's the same thing. We're all talking about the same thing. You're one of the largest <clears throat> uh, Masonic populations in the world is Turkey. Really? And they're all Muslim, yeah. I'm not the least bit surprised. Um, there's a lot of very important, interesting things. Have you ever heard of Gobekli Tepe? In East, you got to Google that. That is one of the most amazing sites in the world. It's basically, they've only uncovered, they estimate between 5 to 10% of it. But it's an observatory. It's an ancient observatory of standing stones with amazing carvings really? on it. You've got to Google this. I will. And what, what archaeologists are saying is that it was intentionally covered up 12,000 years ago. It was covered up because some great catastrophe happened that we believe triggered the rapid disintegration of the ice sheets, which raised sea level. Uh, and I think they call that the Great Flood. 
and all cultures around the world have right, a great right. flood story that yeah. date back to about the same time. Mm -hmm. Geologically, it's pretty easy to explain it, but because most of ancient cultures lived on the coastlines, when they're when they're displaced, it, it, it's it's a huge disruption, and it's recorded. You know, mm -hmm. I, I, your your idea of um, Polynesians settling America, uh, Asian settling America, European settling America. Or vice versa, you know, all that idea of a greater uh, technologic uh, ability, you know, thousands of years ago is a real thing. Because your idea about the Polynesians, Polynesians read the waves, the waves, the sky, the winds, the fish, the animals, the and they, everything, and they can go from island to island with nothing else. That is amazing. Oh, it is amazing. They all the way. Oh, we got an island over here. Let's go. And they could be 100, 200 miles away. Mm -hmm. Just where the way the reasoning. I mean, it, so there's there's this idea of what's going on around us that you know may not be just 200 years old or 300 years old. It could be two, three, ten thousand years old. Some of the and ideas, understanding. You're 100 percent right. And 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 what what is also happening today is people are there's new research that's showing. The, the, the pyramids, for example, a lot of these megalithic sites found around the world, they thought were three to five, maybe 4,000 years old. They're actually coming to realize now that they're 10, 12, 15,000 years old. The core of, of these things have uh, evidence that suggests they, they were built upon, um, you know, generations later. And, and they're much older than, than we were first thought to believe. So my, my question, and this is just my north side up, upbringing. Bring it. So where's the, where's the money in all this? Because it's always about money. It's, a, it's about me gaining something. Well, you hit it, the nail on the head. This pushback that I've been talking about, yeah. uh, it's all about money, power, and control. It is, and, yeah. you know, if you can control the narrative, you can dictate um, policy and uh, land. And, I mean, look what happened to the natives, right? I mean, right. let's just call it for what it is, genocide. Yeah, absolutely. And we broke every treaty. We, 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 we took their land and, and, and killed them uh, in, in many cases. So um, follow the money, man. The, the land is money, right? That's the, the it. The resources, the crops, the, um, yeah, it's it all is, about money. It always is. And yeah. it's, I mean, right now we're going through a situation in America where it's all about money. It's, I'm going to get your vote by convincing you this is going to happen. Why do I want your vote? So I can make more money. I mean, that's what they're doing now. But, Tom, let me ask you a question. How many funerals have you gone to where people sat around and talked about how much money the person made? Uh, a lot. Really? I have, yeah. Well, you know, you have to understand some of the some of the people that I've gotten oh, okay. in the business. What's that north side thing? Uh, yeah. Uh, I, as a matter of fact, it's funny you bring that up because I don't go to funerals anymore for that very reason. Is I don't. First of all, I find them pretty barbaric anyway. Here's your box, and we'll put you in the box, and then you wear a nice tie, and then we're gonna. It just. It's, but I, yeah. Well, I'll tell you what. There's a reason for that, though, Scott. Is that my uncle Augie? I was very close to him. And he was murdered when I was 13. I had three uncles that were murdered. Nice family, huh? But I get to the funeral. I'm 13 years old. I get to the funeral. And this is totally off topic, but I just kind of explained to you no, what right. this is all about. But I get there, and I said, Mom, where, where's Augie? And she said, he's up in, up in the casket. And I said, no, he's not. The casket's about six feet long. My uncle Augie was 6'4". They cut his legs from the knee down off and stuffed them under him so he'd fit in a so normal casket. Yeah. And I was like, since then, I'm like, okay, I'm good with this, <laughs> I'm I'm good with this whole thing. Because we were poor people. We were very poor, right? So we had, they had to go with the cheapest casket they could get, and they had to cut his legs off to fit him in it. And since then, I'm like, I have no interest in going to funerals. Not, like, not so much, yeah. Well, but my point was is yeah. that because of the emphasis on money and power yes. and control, um, it, it's, it just seems misplaced. I mean, money buys convenience, and money's, money's great to a point, but to what end, and, and how much is enough, and, and yes, all those well, kind the, of questions, exactly. you know. And what's more important, we were talking before about our environment. I mean, why are we playing Russian roulette with our mm -hmm. home, right? I mm -hmm. mean, this is our home, and is it worth another million dollars to... to destroy something or right. and, and take another bite out of our pl our planet. I, I, it just doesn't make sense to me. 
money no, brings something true. else. Money also brings persecution. And yeah, if you look at persecuted yeah. groups, whether they're Knights Templar, whether they're the Armenians, or whether they're the Jews, those people were perceived to have an advantage either in banking or in trade, or in, it would led to influence, which led to their persecution. Right. And and those and the and the and I remember when I grew up, the the, the Jewish uh, Jewish uh, couple opened a store near where everybody else was a member of the Church of God, and everybody hated them because. They opened a store, and they felt they were being taken advantage of because they knew how to run a business like that, a retail business. And that's a natural – and I, I just, and the Armenians, the same thing. They were big traders in the Middle East, or in the Middle East, or in between the, uh, the East and the West. All – and that's exactly what it is. It's this persecution as a result of this perception that they have money, have power. Well, the, the whole concept of dehumanizing a group of people by labeling something that justifies persecution. Right. I mean, natives are savages, right? And, right. and you can pick any group. I mean, we, we do it in school. I mean, you're from the north side. I, w I lived in Chanhassen. I went to Chaska High School. I was persecuted because I went to Chanhassen, for crying out loud. <laughs> No, but I mean that's that's obviously. No, a, a, but you know what I'm saying. And it's, Absolutely, it's an age-old uh, technique. God, I think it's so fascinating. All this stuff, why things happen the way they happen, the fact that some people believe the Earth is only ten thousand years old. I mean, they do believe that, and I don't know why they want to believe that, but they well, do. But yet, they're 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 not going to accept the science that tells us that the world is obviously much older, right, and all these right. things happen. But yet, they won't. You know, they won't live without these yeah. things. And it's the same science <laughs> yeah, that, that yeah. they, you know, they exactly. put their faith in this, but not, you know, it's it's a little hypocritical, I guess. It is. And, and, and I think that's our problem right now in America is the far right and the far left have gained so much control over the rest of us who just want to go to work and live our lives. Yeah. And I find it disgusting. I really do. Because it's all about money again. It's about power and money. It's the whole thing. And the, well, majority, and the majority of people, whether black, white, where they're from, that's what they want. They want to have a family, take care of their kids, That's work, it. make a living. That's, That's what they want. And, and enjoy their lives and, and, and just try to, you know what, if, if this, is, this is my mantra. And I tell this to people all the time. If there's something you can do to make this world a better place than you left it, you know, than, than you found it. Than you found it, yeah. uh, When you leave, um, we should all try to do that. And if everybody did that, it'd, it'd be a better place, you know. So a week from tonight, 9 o'clock Central Time, America on Earth, Scott Walter, phenomenal on Travel Channel. Don't forget that. You need to come back, man. Well, I have to say I've been a fan for a long time, and I'm, I'm really thrilled to be here today. I'm and, thrilled to have you. And it, Dave it. has always been a great supporter, and I, yeah. I really appreciate you know all you guys have done for years. And yeah. um, we're just going to keep trying to you know bring it out and do it scientifically and the results are the results, mm -hmm. and sometimes it goes good, sometimes sometimes it changes history. And if it does, and people say, well, then you have to rewrite the history books. You know what I say? Rewrite them. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. So, I would, but thank I, you for having me. I really oh, God, appreciate it. Oh, it's great it. to have you. And we, next time, we get you and Ralph and, and, and Dave in, and I'll just sit here and watch. It'd be, <laughs> it'd be phenomenal. No, you uh, won't. You'll jump great. in. And I love it. But thank you so much. I really appreciate Scott, it. Great to see you. Thank you very much for coming by. And we'll talk to you tomorrow with the family.